This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss Chapter 57 My story, she began, will not be long. I might make it in two words. You have lost me, and you have found me. I have every reason to thank Heaven for a circumstance which has proved to me how dear I am to you, and has given me the happiness of gaining a friend and two dear daughters. Can one complain of an event which has produced such consequences, even though it was attended with some violence? But I ought to do the savages justice. This violence was as gentle as it could be. I need only tell you Parabaquite was there, to convince you I was well treated, and it was solely the sorrow of being parted from you that affected my health. I shall be well now, and as soon as Jack can walk, I shall be ready to embark for our happy island. I will now tell you how I was brought away. When you and our three sons left, to make the tour of the island, I was very comfortable, and you had told me you might return late or probably not till next day, and when the evening passed away without seeing you, I was not uneasy. Francis was constantly with me. We went together to water the garden, and rested in the Grano Ernestine. Then I returned to the house, took my wheel, and placed myself in my favourite colonnade, where I should be the first to see your return. Francis, seeing me at work, asked if he might go as far as the bridge to meet you to which I readily consented. He set out, and I was thinking, thinking of the pleasure I should have in seeing you again, and hearing you relate your voyage, when I saw Francis running, crying out, Mama, Mama, there is a canoe on the sea. I know it is ours. It is full of men, perhaps savages. Silly little fellow, said I, it is your father and brothers. If they are in the canoe, there can be no doubt of it. Your father told me he would bring it, and they would return by water. I had forgotten this when I let you go. Now you can go and meet them on the shore. Give me your arm, and I will go too." And we set off very joyfully to greet our captors. I soon, alas, saw my error. It was indeed our canoe, but instead of my dear ones there were in it six half-naked savages, with terrible countenances, who landed and surrounded us my blood froze with fright, and if I had wished to flee I was unable. I fell on the shore nearly insensible. Still I heard the cries of my dear Francis, who clung to me, and held me with all his strength. At last my senses quite failed me, and I only recovered to find myself lying at the bottom of the canoe. My son, weeping over me, was trying to recover me, assisted by one of the savages, of less repulsive appearance than his companions, and who seemed the chief. This was Parabaquite. He made me swallow a few drops of a detestable fermented liquor, which, however, restored me. I felt, as I recovered, the extent of my disaster, and your grief, my dears, when you should find me missing. I should have been wholly disconsolate, but that Francis was left to me and he was continually praying me to live for his sake. 
I received some comfort from a vague notion that as this was our canoe, the savages had already carried you off, and were taking us to you. I was confirmed in this hope when I saw that the savages, instead of making to sea, continued to coast the island till they came to the great bay. I had then no doubt but that we should meet with you, but this hope was soon destroyed. Two or three more of the savages were waiting there on the shore. They spoke to their friends in the canoe, and I understood from their gestures that they were saying they could not find anybody there. I have since learnt from Kanda that part of them landed at the Great Bay, with instructions to search that side of the island for inhabitants, whilst the rest proceeded with the canoe to examine the other side, and had succeeded but too well. The night came on, and they were anxious to return, which, doubtless, prevented them pillaging our house. I believe, moreover, that none of them could have reached Tent House, defended by our strong palisade, and hidden by the rocks among which it is built, and the other party, finding us on the shore, would not penetrate further. When all had entered the canoe, they pushed off, by the light of the stars, into the open sea. I think I must have sunk under my sorrow, but for Francis, and I must confess it, my dear dog Flora, who had never left me. Francis told me that she had tried to defend me, and flew at the savages, but one of them took my apron, tore it, and tied it over her mouth like a muzzle, bound her legs, and then threw her into the canoe, where the poor creature lay at my feet, moaning piteously. She arrived with us in this island, but I have not seen her since. I have often inquired of Parabaquite, but he could not tell me what had become of her. "'But I know,' said Fritz, "'and have seen her. We brought Turk with us, and the savages had carried Flora to that desert part of the island, from whence Jack was carried off, so the two dogs met. When I had the misfortune to wound Jack, I quite forgot them. They were rambling off in chase of kangaroos. We left them, and no doubt they are still there. But we must not abandon the poor beasts.' If my father will permit me, I will go and seek them in Parabaquite's canoe. As we were obliged to wait a few days for Jack's recovery, I consented, on condition that Parabaquite accompanied them, and the next day was fixed for the expedition. Ernest begged to be of the party, that he might see the beautiful trees and flowers they had described. I then requested the narration might be continued, which had been interrupted by this episode of the two dogs. Francis resumed it where his mother had left off. We had a favourable passage. The sea was calm, and the boat went so smoothly that both Mama and I went to sleep. You must have come a much longer way round than necessary, Papa, as your voyage lasted three days, and we arrived here the day after our departure. Mama was then awake, and wept constantly, believing she should never more see you or my brothers. Parabaquite seemed very sorry for her, and tried to console her. At last he addressed to her two or three words of German, pointing to heaven. His words were very plain, Almighty God, good, and then Black Friend, and White Lady, adding the words Kanda, Bear, and Minu Minu. We did not understand what he meant 
but he seemed so pleased at speaking these words that we could not but be pleased too, and to hear him name God in German gave us confidence, though we could not comprehend where or how he had learnt the words. Perhaps, said Mamma, he has seen your papa and brothers. I thought so too. Still it appeared strange that in so short a time he could acquire and remember these words. However it might be, Mamma was delighted to have him near her, and taught him to pronounce the words father, mother, and son, which did not seem strange to him, and he soon knew them. She pointed to me and to herself, as she pronounced the words, and he readily comprehended them, and said to us, with bursts of laughter, showing its large ivory teeth, Kanda, mother, Minu Minu, son, Parabaquite, father, white lady, mother. Mama thought he referred to her, but it was to Madame Emily. He tried to pronounce this name and two others, but could not succeed. At last he said, Girls, girls, and almost convinced us he must know some Europeans, which was a great comfort to us. When I saw Mama more composed, I took out my flagellette to amuse her, and played the air to earnest verses. This made her weep again very much, and she begged me to desist. The savages, however, wished me to continue, and I did not know whom to obey. I changed the air, playing the merriest I knew. They were in ecstasies. They took me in their arms one after the other, saying, Bara-uru! Bara-uru! I repeated the word after them, and they were still more delighted. But Mama was so uneasy to see me in their arms that I broke from them and returned to her. At last we landed. They carried Mama, who was too weak to walk. About a hundred yards from the shore we saw a large building of wood and reeds, before which was a crowd of savages. One who was very tall came to receive us. He was dressed in a short tunic, much ornamented, and wore a necklace of pierced shells. He was a little disfigured by a white bone passed through his nostrils. But you saw him, papa, when he wanted to adopt me. It was Bara-Uru, the king of the island. I was presented to him, and he was pleased with me, touched the end of my nose with his, and admired my hair very much. My conductors ordered me to play on the flagellette. I played some lively German airs, which made them dance and leap, till the king fell down with fatigue, and made a sign for me to desist. He then spoke for some time to the savages, who stood in a circle round him. He looked at Mama, who was seated in a corner near her protector Parabaquite. He called the latter, who obliged Mama to rise, and presented her to the king. Bara-Uru looked only at the red and yellow India handkerchief which she wore on her head. He took it off, very unceremoniously, and put it on his own head, saying, Miti, which means beautiful. He then made us re-embark in the canoe with him, amusing himself with me and my flagellette, which he attempted to play by blowing it through his nose, but did not succeed. After turning round a point which seemed to divide the island into two, we landed on a sandy beach. Parabaquite and another savage proceeded into the interior, carrying my mother, and we followed. We arrived at a hut similar to the king's, but not so large. There we were received by Mr. Willis, 
whom we judged to be the black friend, and from that time we had no more fears. He took us under his protection, first speaking to the king and to Parabaquite in their own language. He then addressed Mama in German, mixed with a few English words, which we understood very well. He knew nothing of you and my brothers, but, from what Mama told him, he promised to have you sought for, and brought as soon as possible to the island. In the meantime, he offered to lead us to a friend who would take care of us, and nurse poor Mama, who looked very ill. She was obliged to be carried to the grotto, but after that her cares were over, and her pleasure without alloy, for the black friend had promised to seek you. The white lady received us like old friends, and Sophia and Matilda took me at first for their own brother, and still love me as if I was. We only wish for you all. Madame Mimi made Mama lie down on the bearskin, and prepared her a pleasant beverage from the milk of the coconut. Sophia and Matilda took me to gather strawberries and figs and beautiful flowers, and we caught fish in the brook between two osier hurdles. We amused ourselves very well with Minu Minu, while Kanda and Madame Emily amused Mama. The king came the next day to see his little favourite. He wished me to go with him to another part of the island, where he often went to hunt. But I would not leave Mama and my new friends. I was wrong, Papa, for you were there, and my brothers. It was there Jack was wounded and brought away. I might have prevented all that and you would then have returned to us. How sorry I have been for my obstinacy! It was I, more than Fritz, who was the cause of his being wounded. Barauru returned in the evening to the grotto, and think, Papa, of our surprise, our delight, and our distress, when he brought us poor Jack, wounded and in great pain, but still all joy at finding us again. The king told Mr. Willis he was sure Jack was my brother, and he made us a present of him, adding that he gave him in exchange for Mama's handkerchief. Mama thanked him earnestly, and placed Jack beside her. From him she learned all you had done to discover us. He informed Mr. Willis where he had left you, and he promised to seek and bring you to us. He then examined the wound which Jack wished him to think he had himself caused with Fritz's gun, but this was not probable, as the ball had entered behind and lodged in the shoulder. Mr. Willis extracted it with some difficulty, and poor Jack suffered a good deal. But all is now going on well. What a large party we shall be, Papa, when we are all settled in our island! Sophia and Matilda, Minu Minu, Kanda, Parabaquite, you, papa, and two mamas, and Mr. Willis!" My wife smiled as the little orator concluded. Mr. Willis then dressed Jack's wound, and thought he might be removed in five or six days. "'Now, my dear Jack,' said I, "'it is your turn to relate your history. Your brother left off where you were entertaining the savages with your buffooneries, and certainly they were never better introduced.' But how did they suddenly think of carrying you away? Parabacuite told me, said Jack, that they were struck with my resemblance to Francis as soon as I took my flagellette. After I played a minute or two, the savage who wore Mama's handkerchief, whom I now know to be the king, 
interrupted me by crying out and clapping his hands. He spoke earnestly to the others, pointing to my face and to my flagellet, which he had taken. He looked also at my jacket of blue cotton, which one of them had tied round his shoulders like a mantle, and doubtless he then gave orders for me to be carried to the canoe. They seized upon me. I screamed like a madman, kicked them and scratched them, but what could I do against seven or eight great savages? They tied my legs together, and my hands behind me, and carried me like a parcel. I could then do nothing but cry out for Fritz, and the night of the gun came rather too soon. In attempting to defend me, some way or another, off went his gun, and the ball took up its abode in my shoulder. I can assure you an unpleasant visitor is that same ball, but here he is, the scoundrel. Father Willis pulled him out by the same door as that by which he went in, and since his departure all goes on well. Now for my story. When poor Fritz saw that I was wounded, he fell down as if he had been shot at the same time. The savages, thinking he was dead, took away his gun and carried me into the canoe. I was in despair more for the death of my brother than from my wound, which I almost forgot and was wishing they would throw me into the sea, when I saw Fritz running at full speed to the shore, but we pushed off, and I could only call out some words of consolation. The savages were very kind to me, and one of them held me up seated on the outrigger. They washed my wound with sea-water, sucked it, tore my pocket-handkerchief to make a bandage, and as soon as we landed, squeezed the juice of some herb into it. We sailed very quickly and passed the place where we had landed in the morning. I knew it again, and could see Ernest standing on a sandbank. He was watching us, and I held out my arms to him. I thought I also saw you, papa, and heard you call. But the savages yelled, and though I cried with all my strength, it was in vain. I little thought they were taking me to Mama. As soon as we had disembarked, they brought me to this grotto, and I thought I must have died of surprise and joy when I was met by Mama and Francis, and then by Sophia, Matilda, Mama Emily, and Mr. Willis, who was a second father to me. This is the end of my story, and a very pretty end it is that brings us all together. What matters it to have had a little vexation for all this pleasure? I owe it all to you, Fritz. If you had let me sink to the bottom of the sea, instead of dragging me out by the hair— I should not have been here so happy as I am. I'm obliged to the gun, too. Thanks to it, I was the first to reach Mama and see our new friends." The next day Fritz and Ernest set out on their expedition with Parabacote and his canoe, to seek our two valued dogs. The good islander carried his canoe on his back to the shore. I saw them set off, but not without some dread in such a frail bark into which the water leaked through every seam. But my boys could swim well, and the kind, skilful, and bold Parabacote undertook to answer for their safety. I therefore recommended them to God, and returned to the grotto, to tranquilize my wife's fears. Jack was inconsolable that he could not form one of the party, but Sophia scolded him for wishing to leave them to go upon the sea which had swallowed up poor Alfred. In the evening we had the pleasure of seeing our brave dogs enter the grotto, 
they leaped on us in a way that terrified the poor little girls at first, who took them for bears, but they were soon reconciled to them when they saw them fawn round us, lick our hands, and pass from one to the other to be caressed. My sons had had no difficulty in finding them. They had run to them at the first call, and seemed delighted to see their masters again. The poor animals had subsisted on the remains of the kangaroos, but apparently had met with no fresh water, for they seemed dying with thirst, and rushed to the brook as soon as they discovered it, and returned again and again. Then they followed us to the hut of the good missionary, who had been engaged all day in visiting the dwellings of the natives, and teaching them the truths of religion. I had accompanied him, but, from ignorance of the language, could not aid him. I was, however, delighted with the simple and earnest manner in which he spoke, and the eagerness with which they heard him. He finished by a prayer, kneeling, and they all imitated him, lifting up their hands and eyes to heaven. He told me he was trying to make them celebrate the Sunday. He assembled them in his tent, which he wished to make a temple for the worship of the true God. He intended to consecrate it for this purpose and to live in the grotto after our departure. The day arrived at last. Jack's shoulder was nearly healed, and my wife, along with her happiness, recovered her strength. The pinnace had been so well guarded by Parabaquite and his friends that it suffered no injury. I distributed among the islanders everything I had that could please them, and made Parabaquite invite them to come and see us in our island, requesting we might live on friendly terms. Mr. Willis wished much to see it, and to complete our happiness he promised to accompany and spend some days with us, and Parabaquite said he would take him back when he wished it. We embarked then, after taking leave of Barauru, who was very liberal in his presence, giving us, besides fruits of every kind, a whole hog roasted, which was excellent. We were fourteen in number, sixteen reckoning the two dogs. The missionary accompanied us, and a young islander, whom Parabaquite had procured to be his servant, as he was too old and too much occupied with his mission to attend to his own wants. This youth was of a good disposition and much attached to him. Parabaquite took him to assist in rowing when he returned. Emily could not but feel rather affected at leaving the grotto, where she had passed four tranquil, if not happy, years fulfilling the duties of a mother. Neither could she avoid a painful sensation when she once more saw the sea that had been so fatal to her husband and son. She could scarcely subdue the fear she had of trusting all she had left to that treacherous element. She held her daughters in her arms, and prayed for the protection of heaven. Mr. Willis and I spoke to her of the goodness of God, and pointed out to her the calmness of the water, the security of the pinnace, and the favourable state of the wind. My wife described to her our establishment, and promised her a far more beautiful grotto than the one she had left, and at last she became more reconciled. After seven or eight hours' voyage, we arrived at Cape Disappointment, and we agreed the bay should henceforth be called the Bay of the Happy Return. The distance to Tent House from hence was much too great for the ladies and children to go on foot. My intention was to take them by water to the other end of the island, near our house, 
but my elder sons had begged to be landed at the bay, to seek their livestock and take them home. I left them there with Parabaquite. Jack recommended his buffalo to them, and Francis's bull, and all were found. We coasted the island, arrived at Safety Bay, and were soon at Tent House, where we found all, as we had left it, in good condition. Notwithstanding the description my wife had given them, our new guests found our establishment far, far beyond their expectation. With what delight Jack and Francis ran up and down the colonnade with their young friends! What stories they had to tell of all the surprises they had prepared for their mother! They showed them Fritzia, Jackia, the Franciade, and gave their friends water from their beautiful fountain. Absence seemed to have improved everything, and I must confess, I had some difficulty to refrain from demonstrating my joy as wildly as my children. Minu Minu, Parabaquite, and Kanda were lost in admiration, calling out continually, Miti, beautiful! My wife was busied in arranging a temporary lodging for our guests. The workroom was given up to Mr. Willis. My wife and Madame Emily had our apartment, the two little girls being with them, to whom the hammocks of the elder boys were appropriated. Kanda, who knew nothing about beds, was wonderfully comfortable on the carpet. Fritz, Ernest, and the two natives stowed themselves wherever they wished, in the colonnade or in the kitchen, all was alike to them. I slept on moss and cotton in Mr. Willis's room, with my two younger sons. Every one was content, waiting till our ulterior arrangements were completed. End of chapter.